Well, thank you again so much to all of those who have helped to put our worship service together. <clears throat> um, thank you to Pam Pash, who was our liturgist this week, um, for Sally Ritterbush, who offered a beautiful special music um, for us in You're Gonna Be Okay, um, for Melody, who was our children's time, uh, for folks who have been helping in our outdoor service, for those who have been setting up and tearing down and ushering and greeting, thank you. Um, your service has been so helpful as we, as we imagine these services and as we put them together um, and as we worship together. So thank you um, to our praise team, uh, to Gary Brubaker, uh, so many. Thank you. As we continue in our series this morning on Tell Me a Story, uh, we're talking about the parables that Jesus used to teach. And of course, these parables varied in length. Um, they're found in all of the Gospels. Some of them are repeated. But um, we're looking at what these stories have to teach us. We've been looking at, we looked at the story of the persistent widow of lost sheep. This morning, we'll look at wicked tenants. And then we'll close this series talking about invited guests. So as we think about the wicked tenants this morning, would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let's talk again just a little bit about storytelling as we talk about what these parables mean. So there are things that we can access uh, or that we can get across in storytelling that we can't get across in just speaking it. So it's partly because stories invite us into imagination. And imagination isn't a bad thing either. Um, sometimes we think about imagination as childish or as... Um, maybe just not, um, not educated or foolish. We don't think about our imagination um, sometimes in the best ways. But imagination births forth so many things of creativity. We imagine a new world. Uh, we imagine how God works. Um, imagination is a beautiful thing, and stories invite us into our imagination. And there was a recent study that was done that uh, proved that stories can produce oxytocin. And oxytocin is the chemical in the brain that's some kind, sometimes called the love hormone, um, or I saw it one place called the cuddle hormone, um, which uh, ultimately, <laughs> oxytocin helps us feel loved and supported, um, and it motivates us to be more kind and empathetic. Did you know that a story could do that? A story can make you feel things? Of course you know that because you have felt it. So you can tell someone your point, but if you tell them a story, it can trigger oxytocin. And so they'll hear it um, sometimes differently and sometimes better and be more willing to act. Rima Abshkura, who leads story events, storytelling events in Egypt, um, they, they have these storytelling events to talk about larger, larger social issues and how they impact persons' lives. She says, the most compelling things I know and learned didn't make it into a new story. New stories just don't portray the charm and the pain and the humanity enough. So this is why stories are important and telling our stories. So it's telling our personal stories and also telling our story of faith. 
And Jesus used these stories, parables, to teach. And uh, sometimes Jesus used these parables and there's different reasons or different purposes behind them. So in some of the parables, you can see that they're passing along wisdom or like Proverbs. Uh, sometimes they're allegories or stories that, um, that use images or things that stand in for something, for something else. Sometimes they teach a lesson. Um, and sometimes it's a fully developed story um, that uh, is, is told by Jesus and we enter into. Throughout the Gospels, there are about 24 different parables from Jesus. Um, each Gospel has a little bit of a different number, uh, and some are original just to that Gospel, and some are shared between all of them. And within each parable, within each teaching that Jesus offers, within each story, there's an invitation to join the story and find ourselves. So let's talk about today's story, the parable of the wicked tenants. That's a great title, right? Anyway, we'll talk about that. Um, but in this parable, uh, it's told in the Gospel of Mark right after an interaction that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were religious leaders of the day who followed the laws. And they followed the laws so particularly because their belief was that if we follow all of the laws, then the Messiah will come and everything will be made well. So they were very specific in how they followed the laws. And they especially found offense at Jesus because of the ways that he interpreted the laws or the, way that, the ways that he lived into the laws or sometimes the ways that they saw he broke the laws. So they were not fans. And so they started to ask these questions of Jesus um, to ask what his, where is his authority coming from? Who gave you authority to do these things? Who told you you could? And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' response to the Pharisees is, well, John baptized me, so where did John get his authority? And this was sort of like uh, a catch that the Pharisees found themselves. Because if they say that John's authority came from heaven, well, that meant that that, that passed on to Jesus. And so Jesus' authority comes there also, which they didn't want to do. Or if they said, well, it's just from, huma from humans, it, it just came from humans, um, then that would upset the people because the people believed that John was a prophet and so that there was something more, there was a calling that he had. And so their response was they just didn't answer Jesus's question, which let's be honest, a non, a, an answer of silence is also an answer. But so that's, um, that's the question that precedes this story. So the question is, what's your authority? Where does your authority come from? Jesus answers the question, they didn't answer, and then he tells the story of the wicked tenants. So let's talk a little bit about who is who in this story. Now in this story, it's a fairly easy correlation in this allegory, who's who. So you have the vineyard owner, which is God, you have the vineyard, which is Israel. Um, the tenants, they're the religious leaders, primarily the Pharisees. Can you see why they don't like this story already? Um, then you have the servants, and the servants are the prophets. And then, of course, the son, well, that's Jesus. Um, so these are fairly obvious 
fairly given. Um, it's not really a hidden allegory in here. Now, um, there are other parts of the story that symbolize other things, but this is the big part um, to know who is who in the story. So, like I said, the tenants are the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees understanding themselves as the tenants um, probably doesn't make them very happy. Um, it might make them angry to be misunderstood or labeled in such a way. Maybe, maybe they feel a little ashamed knowing that they have done the things that they're accused of in the parable. So there's a little bit of shame. Or maybe they're feeling defensive. There's no way I would have done that. Or maybe you just don't understand how things actually go. Or maybe you don't understand how the prophets were being. Maybe a little defensiveness. I mean, imagine if it were you. So imagine you're a Pharisee and you hear this story. How are you, how do you hear it? Because I think it's pretty clear by hearing this story that the tenants are not the heroes of the story. I mean, we call this the parable of the wicked tenants. So if you were a Pharisee, how would you react? Well, in the parable, there are those who are there, but then um, there are those who aren't because the story is pretty narrowly defined. There's the tenants, there's the owner, uh, the servants, and then the son. So it's pretty narrow in who's here and who's a part of the story. But if we think about this and we imagine ourselves and we get to be a part of the story and part of the imagination of it, you know, think about it. There have to be others around, right? Is there, um, are there other owners watching this situation going, ooh, how is this owner going to react? Is there, is there another, is, are there other owners who are watching? Are there other servants who are going, whoa, I know what happens, I'm not going. Are there those who are refusing to, to go as servants? Or are there just other like, like townspeople just watching and going, oh, there's nothing I can do? Or feeling helpless or lost? Now keep imagining this story, this story which is fairly short, but keep imagining the story until you can find yourself and your place in the story. Now, who are you, even if your character isn't specifically mentioned? And when you find yourself in the story, think about what your reaction is. Now, we focus in the story a lot on the tenants, partly because it's the title, The Wicked Tenants. And of course, that's important to think about um, to think about our reactions and the tenants' reactions to to Jesus. And I mean, well, the Son, who is very clearly Jesus, and we know this because we know that through Jesus' life, death, and uh, resurrect, well, through Jesus' life and teaching, he was crucified. I mean, that's a central part of our story as Christians, that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we experience the abundance of life. So we hear this story knowing the end and going, well, duh. And of course, Jesus was rejected. This is the story. This is the story that we know as a part of our Christian story. But again, when we start to imagine ourselves within here, who are we? 
And I think we can focus so much on the tenants and on the son, which are important and, and big parts of the story, that we sometimes forget about the other people in there. And especially we forget about the owner. So if the owner is God and is the stand-in for who God is, God keeps sending people to the tenants. Servants, his son, people keep going. And on the one hand, I think, isn't that irresponsible? I mean, you know that they're the wicked tenants and you keep sending things, you keep sending people and messages, sending people to their death, even your own son. Isn't that like irresponsible? But then, isn't that who God is? God doesn't give up, does God? I mean, sometimes when I think about the ways that God has called me, I kind of wish that God would just maybe be quiet sometimes. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't give up. God never gives up. God always tries to reach those who seem unreachable. Let's try again. 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 It's kind of like a broken record, but like the good kind of broken record. Let's try again. Let's try again. Anne Lamont, who is an author and a speaker, um, she says this about hope. She says, hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You don't give up. Let's try again. Let's try again. When things may seem bleak and like there's no hope, God is still there. Hope begins in the dark. Or as Sally sang in our special music this morning, hope is never lost. So what is this parable about? Well, I think as much as it is about the tenants and as much as it is about Jesus and how Jesus is, is and was treated, I think it's also a story about God. And I think it's a story about hope and about not giving up hope. Now we can probably list a million reasons why you can't or shouldn't have hope. And sometimes those reasons are deeply connected to our stories and our experiences. And some of those stories are deeply steeped in pain and in heartbreak. And those stories are real and those stories are valid. And holding on to hope is equally as real and valid and a possibility. God kept sending people and people kept going. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again.
Don't give in to despair. Live the life and the faith and the hope that you want to have. Build your hope. Sing the song you believe. Don't give in to the temptation of treating others as less than human, like the tenants. You can, you can disagree and still respect the sacred worth in one another. Love them anyway. Here's what happens when we deny the power of God working in the world, the power of God continuing to create, the invitation to, of God to join in the creation and creativity of the world. We deny that power and sometimes life doesn't turn out quite the way that we think it should. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. There are always reasons not to hope. And maybe you can list them off right now. There are always reasons to give up. There are always reasons not to love, and there are always reasons to despair. Don't. Because just as many reasons as there are to give up, there are not to. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You don't give up. Let's try again. Let's try again. One of the lyrics from our song this morning. Don't give up. Don't give in. This won't last. It's not the end. You're going to be okay. When the night is closing in, don't give up and don't give in. This won't last. It's not the end. We're going to be okay. Let's try again. Let's try again. Keep hoping. Because God keeps hoping. God doesn't give up. Keep working to make a difference. Keep trying. Don't give up. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try.